Hello and welcome to this week's Next Sense Institute podcast. My name's Trudy Smith and I am your digital host for today. It's my very great pleasure to introduce the next of our SPEVI conference keynote speakers, John Ravenscroft. Welcome, John. Could you please introduce yourself to our audience? Yeah, hi, Trudy. Uh, nice to be here. So uh, I am Professor John Ravenscroft and I'm Chair of Childhood Visual Impairment. I work at uh, the Scottish Sensory Centre, which is at the Murray House School of Education and Sport at the University of Edinburgh. Uh, I'm also, some of you may know that I'm the editor-in-chief, that's the word they like to give me, of the British Journal of Visual Impairment. And uh, what else? Oh, I'm the ICVI European president as well. So I've got quite a large a large portfolio to get on with things, but uh, it, keeps, it keeps me busy, keeps me busy. And, and as you should be, given your uh, background and, and qualifications, and we're looking forward to, to hearing more from you. But I, I really want to unpack today some of the research that you did into the nature of representation. And I'm wondering, what can educators take from this work for our population of students who are blind or have low vision? Yeah, well, I think um, I was thinking about it because you... For those who are interested in how these podcasts work, uh, we get we get questions sent in advance, right? So I got sent this question in advance, and I've been thinking about this, and I, I came up with a very simple answer. I think that all educators should take a, a course on the philosophy of perception, and I think it's really and the reason why I think this it's really important to understand how children with visual impairment, whether it's ocular visual impairment or whether it's cerebral visual impairment, how they represent the world, how they see from inside out rather than from outside in. And I think what many of us do, and, and I do it from time to time, and I know I shouldn't, is that we, we try and perceive the child's understanding of the world from our own eyes. We use tests that we have uh, uh, and we say, well, if the child doesn't do well on this task, that means the child doesn't perceive as well as we do in this test. That's the wrong way of looking about it. What we need to look about, look about it is to see how children see the world from inside out. And I think that's, that then leads us to understanding all sorts of things, understanding a theory of mind and understanding of how they are in, in classrooms and playgrounds, how they develop social friendships, how they do all of those things. So I think, and a long answer to your question, take a philosophy of perception course. <laughs> and, and, and being short of not having the time to do that course, John, I'm fascinated by that idea and, of course, as a teacher of the deaf myself, the theory of mind and that perspective of, of how we see the world and how we view the world is quite different for each person and we have to work quite hard with children who are deaf and hard of hearing to explain that because they don't hear often the internal thoughts of other people. How do we swing that around for students who are vision? How do we identify how they see the world? Are there key questions we should be asking or activities we should be setting up? Well, I think it's. Um, I think there's a whole range of assessments that we use as QTVIs and things like that, and all those are all those are appropriate and all those are fine, and it depends what you're assessing as well. So, so I'm not going to give you do these 
do this particular test and this is your answer. Because I think each child is different and we got to get to know, we need to know the family history. We know we need to ask a whole hit, a series of history questions about the child. And depending what functional assessment we might be looking for, whether it's an acuity assessment or whether it's a motor, a visio uh, motor assessment, it all depends on what we're looking for. But it is really to try to ascertain for each and every child how they see the world. And it's how they perceive that world to be. And it's quite interesting. I was just answering an email just before I came online about should we be using tests that have been developed for children with ocular visual impairment for children with CVI or whether we should be using tests for typically sighted children for children with CVI. And so I, this is the kind of emails I deal with uh, eight o'clock at night and I'm going, oh my goodness me. <laughs> and, and we were going backwards and forwards with my colleague over in, in America. And, and we said, well, we don't really know the answer to this. And I think it's quite an interesting question to ask because there are very few validated assessment tests. And so we have to use what we have. And so, so I think it, as, as you find out in my talk a little bit, uh, it's on the onus of the QTVI. It is it's the skills, the expertise of the QTVI who develops that relationship with the child to understand that representation. So there's a whole range of tests we can use. Some of them are appropriate. Some of them would not be appropriate. Uh, uh, but it's that relationship and understanding of the child, I think, is more important. And the skill, of course, of the QTVI. Of course, it really does come down to that differentiation, doesn't it, for each client? If you've met a student with CVI, you've met a student with CVI. It, it, there right. is a, they're all so different. And so that is a really good reminder that we should differentiate and individualise the work that we do with our kids. John, you were instrumental in the establishment of the first UK child vision impairment notification system. Then you did the same here in Australia. Tell us a little bit about that and why it was so important to you. Well, I mean, for me, people kept on asking me, well, how many children are there in Scotland with a visual impairment? And, you know, I kept on saying, well, we don't really know, right? You know, I said, what do you mean you don't know? You're, you're a professor of this kind of stuff. I said, I am. I said, what do you mean you don't know? We have in Scotland, and I, and I know that you have in Australia, uh, 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 like a school census, right? That school census is, is inaccurate, uh, uh, certainly in Scotland. Uh, it, it, has in, it includes children that have glasses, that is children that may have just a, 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 a so yeah, it includes children that has glasses uh, and it, it's usually inputted by a school administrative staff. So it, it vastly overestimates the number of children there are in Scotland. Yeah. And so we set up um, what was then called Visual Impairment Scotland to try and answer some of those questions. Well, how many children are there? So that's now been taken over by, um, interestingly enough, NHS Scotland and is now called uh, the Visual Impairment Network for Children and Young People, VINCIP. It's a bit of a long name, but everyone knows it as VINCIP. Uh, and so this has now been uh, integrated, like I say, by the NHS. And it's really an excellent tool because it tells us, A, where every child is. For example, it tells us that um, 56, 59% sorry, of all children in Scotland have a brain-based visual impairment, which is by far the most single category of a diagnosis there is, right? The next is like a whole globe, we get albinism and things like that. 
and that's like a 20 something 1%. So 50, 59% are brain based. And we know where those children are. So we have their postcodes. We know where those children are. So we can start to direct services. We can start to direct planning for the number of teachers, the number of pediatricians, the number of ophthalmologists. We can have these referral systems in straight away very quickly. And that's what the beauty of these notification systems do. And so so I will ask whoever's running your your system now, if it's Sue. Hi, Sue. Nice to meet you. Yes. Yeah. Hi. Hi, Sue. Um, just have a look. So we've been consistent now in getting around 59% of all children are brain-based VI, which is the same as the incident studies by Jugna Rahi, by Kathy Williams. You know, it is, seems to be that that's right. Jugna is about 50%, we're 59%. So, yeah. so it tells us where those children are, what the main primary conditions are, and it enables us to deliver services very, very quickly. Yeah. I think that's the advantage of these systems. Absolutely. I'm interested, John, if the value of having um, these kinds of systems in multiple countries helps to explain. So, for example, um, brain-based vision impairment, there are some countries where there are people not are diagnosing it or recognising it. By having these kinds of studies, it kind of demonstrates, particularly 59%, um, as you said, in the UK, how important this is and how important it is for professionals to take it more seriously and be alert to the possibility of those kinds of diagnosis? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and more and more countries are becoming much more interested in developing these notification systems for that very reason. You know, I've been doing quite a lot of work with my colleagues in the US because they're at the moment at the very early stages in developing a, a statewide, uh, not a statewide, a, um, a federal-wide um, system. And they're in the early stages because they too recognize, oh, everyone talks about cerebral vision impairment, brain-based visual impairment has been the most common form of childhood visual impairment, but we don't know. There's no data in these countries. And so by having these multiple systems, we're able to, to A, compare, but also contrast ourselves. You know, why, why would it be the case that Australia doesn't have that much? many children with CVI. Now, it might be that you have a different type of population. It might be that you're not registering or notifying the same number of children, but we could start to then look at that as to why it's different to ours. Do we have an over-representation in Scotland? We, you know, by, by looking at other countries, we're able to really get a handle on what exactly is childhood vision impairment. And we know, and all of those listening to this podcast, we know that a child with visual impairment isn't the same as what it was 40, 50 years ago. These children are different, and we need to understand why these children are different, how they're different, how we can support these children to be the best that they can be. And I think that's having systems and knowing where they are, knowing the profile enables us to do that, Trudy. Absolutely. And it must inform so much of your research now. Yes, yes, yes. Just, just, and um, I mean, I am fortunate. So I've got the old data set and I've got the NHS data set and I'm a chair of the data group. So it enables me to really look at that data and to really understand what is a child with visual impairment in Scotland? Where are they? What are they like? What? Are, and so the other study that we do on top of that is we look at, um, so as I said, 59% of all children with cerebral are brain-based visual impairment. And the majority of those children are from the poorest areas in Scotland. 
So brain-based vision impairment becomes a public health issue. It isn't just a genetic issue or a prematurity issue, or, or it's a public health issue. Mm. And we need to really work with our colleagues in public health and with government to really look at why that's the case. We've got some ideas. It could be uh, maternal health. It could be diet. It could be smoking. It could be whatever. Uh, uh, so what can we do to support people uh, in those poorer areas not to have children with um, uh, cerebral vision impairment? You know, like I say, increase the maternal health of, of, of the mom. So, so by having that data readily at hand, year on year on year on year, we can capture trends, we can start beginning to look at interesting clusters uh, or where they occur and how they occur. So yeah, it's, it's, it's data is everything. Data is king. Data is everything and it is king and it is incredibly powerful when you're trying to change policy. Yes, that's right. And it's, it's interesting how now that in, in Scotland, uh, the Vincent data set is recognised by the Scottish government as the data set of, of, of childhood visual impairment. And it is, in fact, the, the notification acts as the registration of, of, of visual impairment. Mm. So it has now been really recognised by government. And that's how you change policies, by having that evidence base. No evidence. <laughs> well, how many children do you have? <laughs> we yes. don't know. You know, it's very hard to then then to move things forward. Absolutely. When we think about, you know, the taxpaying public want to know why you would have this policy and data is just such a lovely way to drive all of that. Yeah. So such important work. Yeah, yeah. Keep it up, Sue. That's all I've got to say. <laughs> <laughs> John, what can we look forward to learning from you at the SPEVI conference in your keynote address in January? Well, it's quite a, a different one for me. Uh, uh, so I'm not giving my uh, a, a talk on cerebral vision impairment. So uh, that's quite nice. And it's also quite, oh, my goodness me. I'm going back to, I think, what I've talked about a while ago. Uh, and I'm, and I'm going to talk a little bit about inclusion and that, you know, I'm looking at the policies in Australia. I'm, I'm comparing those policies in in Scotland. Um, I think both of our policies say somewhere that inclusion is the cornerstone of education, right? So, so we have to figure out what that really means. Okay, so so I'm going to talk a little bit about what does that really mean and how does that fit in into our education systems. And I know that you've had a talk from my colleagues. Um, uh, Graham Douglas and Mike McClendon uh, a while ago talking about the new curriculum framework for children with visual impairment and also the uh, ECC, the expanded core curriculum. So where does that fit in all of that? So where does um, these new, these advances or these new approaches to support children, where does that fit in, in the cornerstone of education, right? How do they fit in an in inclusion? Are they within the national curricula or are they are they external to it? Mm. And how, how does that apply within Australia and how does it work within Scotland? Plus, I'm going to explore, well, what, what does it mean to be an inclusive school and an inclusive classroom? Looking at this curricular framework, looking at the e ECC. So I don't know any answers yet. I'm still working out those answers, but I'm going. that's what I'm going to focus on a little bit is, is looking at what does inclusion mean for us as practitioners, as, a, as an academic, 
as from governments as well. And how do these new frameworks, the one in the UK uh, and the ECC, how do those frameworks fit into our understanding of what inclusion is? It's going to be fascinating. And I suspect it's not just going to be teachers of vision who are going to want to attend. I think that's the, the philosophical framework around that is fascinating. And, and we look forward to having you unpack that for us. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I'm hoping some of you will unpack it for me. I think it's. Uh, <laughs> I've got, I've got, I've got some ideas. I've got some interesting ideas, and it's, and I'm contrasting them with, you know, inclusive pedagogy approaches and things like that. So, and I think it's really interesting that I come from inclusion from a specialist position rather than uh, uh, any other position. For me, I, I, it's really important that I teach my students that they are the the agents of change for inclusion as a specialist rather than the other way around, rather than see specialist as being out there, anti-inclusionist. I, I say, no, 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 by anything else, we are the most inclusive uh, 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 agents of change. So, so I'm gonna talk a little bit about that and what, and what that means when, when from a, a policy perspective that is all about inclusion is the cornerstone of, of Australian education. I look forward very much to that. I think. <laughs> or, or I could just talk about something about the dorsal stream, in, 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 you know, affecting the ventral stream. I could talk about that. But... You could talk about that in an inclusive way and we would still be fascinated, I suspect. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, the, as I said, the SPEVI conference is the 18th to the 20th of January 2023. Um, information is in the show notes. Uh, John, we so look forward to hearing your keynote. Um, thank you so much for spending time with me today for the conversation. Well, it's been great. It's great meeting you, Trudy. And uh, I wish I could be there. Um, uh, but alas, uh, 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 Zoom, Zoom will be sufficient. <laughs> it will indeed. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. And as I said, we'll share uh, details in the show notes. We will see you next time. Bye, everyone.